Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Mark chapter number 2. Mark chapter number 2 this morning is where we'll be. I want to preach a sermon entitled Arise and Walk. I don't want to keep you very long. I know you're out there in your cold cars today, and so we'll try to just jump right in there this morning. Arise and walk. You know, I think that uh, for me anyways, too much downtime drives me a little crazy. I don't know if you're the same way I am, but uh, times like this where I am down for, you know, five, six, seven days at a time, I start going a little stir crazy. Uh, I start feeling like I need to go out and build something or make something, and it just drives me insane whenever things are like that. And I know that God has a reason for it. That's the one thing that I've been trying to nail down in my heart is the fact that we're down for a reason. And it, it happens from time to time. But you don't want to stay down very long. I know, I know for me, I don't want to, I might get down, but I don't want to be down too long because immobility or being stuck in the same place can lead to a lot of bad things. It can lead to uh, emotional distress. It can lead to financial depravity, spiritual depravity. There's a lot of things that happen whenever we stay immobile for too long. Now, I understand that there are some cases where uh, there's no choice uh, as far as staying down. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at a man in Mark chapter number 2 that didn't have a choice in the matter. Uh, He was down for the count, very, very sick, unable to even move himself. And then Christ showed up on the scene. The hope of the sermon this morning is to point out some practical truths regarding the dangers of staying immobile spiritually and the great benefit of finding our entire Christian lives wrapped up in Jesus Christ in such a way that no matter what's going on around us, we can continue to fight victoriously for Christ no matter what we're facing. The truth is we all get down. We all get down occasionally. Uh, I know for me personally, I I don't talk about it a lot because one of the things I want to try to always do is be uplifting to those who are around me. And so I don't want to come in here with a a bad spirit about me or a bad attitude about me. I don't want to come in here and put out a a sense that I'm defeated or, or downhearted. But let me tell you, I'm just being perfectly honest with you this morning. I have plenty of times in my life where I'm downhearted, where I'm down in the dumps, where I've gone through trials and struggles, and and I'm just trying to keep my head above water. And I am so thankful that through the years, God has shown me really the secret to not going down so far that we give up. Uh, That's one of the things that God has has blessed me with is highlighting through his word the different truths that I needed to see in order to get back up on my feet and to go back out into the battle and to keep fighting for the cause of Christ. And I want to share some of those truths with you this morning, some of those keys, and I hope they'll be a help and a blessing to you. So let's look here at Mark chapter number two. Mark chapter number two, we'll jump in at verse number one. The Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days And it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. 
And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. The idea there is that this man was so sick, he was immobile, he could not move himself. And so he was reliant upon four other people to carry him to Jesus. Verse 4 says, And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I want to take some time and consider what takes place in this man's life in these first 12 verses. We'll read the rest of them here in a moment. But the first thing I want to highlight in this passage of Scripture is what I'm calling the faith to arise. The faith to arise. I have learned that the very first key to not staying down too long, to rising back up onto our spiritual feet and get going again for Jesus Christ, the first key to doing that is our faith. We see faith accomplishing quite a bit here in these first five verses. The first thing that faith does here is it changes their position. It changes the position. Notice that whenever this man that was sick of the palsy heard that Jesus was nearby, he immediately arranged transportation. You know, that's what faith does. It changes our position. A position of being stuck in a rut, a position of being down in the dumps, a position of being defeated and and downtrodden in our hearts. And you know, that's exactly where Satan wants us to stay. Once we get down there in that dark place that we just don't really talk about with very many people, Satan wants to hold us there as long as he possibly can. What is it, though, that comes along and and pulls us back out of that place? I believe it's our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This man heard that Jesus was near. And immediately, immediately, he hurried up and tried to figure out how he could make his way to Jesus. Why? Because he believed that Jesus was his final, last great hope of healing. You know, one of the things I've tried to do here lately is I've tried to take some time and consider the reality of the lives that Jesus touched while he was on earth. It's easy for us as we're reading these Gospels to look at these things and not really consider the impact that each of these miracles had, not just on the individual Christ was healing, but on their children, on their family members, on their moms and dads. It's easy for us to just read through the Gospels and not really take the time to consider the, the real world scenario of Christ stepping in and performing these great miracles. I've thought a lot about this of late, and I can't help but think about this man. This man was hopeless. This man was in despair. You can imagine how much stress probably plagued his life. He was broken and no one could fix him. He was lost and no one could find him. He needed help and no one could help him. You talk about a hopeless situation. But I'm thankful this morning that there is no such thing as a hopeless situation with Jesus. Jesus steps onto the scene here and all of a sudden this man who was, was 
distraught and this man who was distressed and this man who was downhearted, all of a sudden his scenario changes, his position changes because he knows that Jesus is able. This morning you may be struggling in a place of immobility. You may be in a place where your heart is down in the dumps. You may be in a place where you feel like you are defeated and hopeless. May I tell you this morning that in Christ... There is no such thing as hopelessness. Christ stands ready and prepared to step into your situation. And while you may not be able to to do it for yourself, Christ is able to step in and do it for you. Faith changed the position. The second thing we see here is that faith changes our passion. You know, when Jesus came near, there are four people. They dropped everything they were doing and they ran to this man that was sick of the palsy. (coughs) Pardon me. Now, the truth is we don't know who these four were. We don't know if these were his children. We don't know if maybe one of these was his spouse. We don't know if these were just close family friends. We don't know who the four were. But I am so impressed by the four. And the reason I'm highlighting them, you'll notice in verse number five, I want you to notice one tiny word in verse number five that just jumped off the page at me when I was studying for this sermon. It says there at the beginning of verse number five, when Jesus saw his faith, is that what it says? It doesn't say that, does it? It says when Jesus saw their faith. Do you see that? That tells me that Christ was not just looking upon the man that was sick of the palsy. He was seeing everyone connected to the situation. And the Bible tells us that that, uh, he was immediately impacted by this to the point where he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And so it wasn't just his faith that he was touched by. It was all of their faith. And so I took some time to think about these four. You know, we don't know what they were doing when Jesus came into town. More than likely, they were tending to their families. Maybe some of them were at their job sites. Some of them were undoubtedly working on different projects to earn an income. We don't know all the details of what these four were in the middle of doing when Jesus stepped into town. But one thing we do know is that they dropped everything they were doing. They ran to the man that was sick of the palsy. They grabbed a hold of that man and they carried him to Jesus. Can I tell you this morning, I believe that God has called us to do exactly the same thing. What is it that will give us a passion for souls? What is it that gives us a desire to go out and win people for the cause of Christ? It is our unwavering faith in the Lord Jesus. It's our faith in the gospel. That's what drives us in our passion And whenever we know that Jesus has a message for us to share, we, like these four, should drop what we have and run to the people that God calls us to, that he leads us to by his spirit, and reach them with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith changes our position. Faith changes our passion. Thirdly, faith changes our priorities. Now, there's an individual not mentioned in these first five verses, and I think this is what I'm trying to say when I I share with you that I've been trying to read these Gospels a little differently than I normally do. I'm trying to see all the people that are not mentioned in the Gospels. And I I don't think that's an injustice to what God tells us in His Word, because at the end of the book of John, the Bible tells us that 
If everything had been written down that Jesus had accomplished, then not even the world itself could contain the books that should be written. So I don't think it's any injustice to at least consider some of the people that aren't talked about here. And there's one guy or one family unmentioned in these first five verses that stands off the pages of this story to me. And that's the homeowner. Nobody's thought about the homeowner. This man who, who gives Jesus a stage to preach from, even though at the time Jesus was looked at by the religious leaders as a blasphemer, as a radical. He was looked at by the Romans as a nuisance, as an agitator. But there's a man here, a family here, unmentioned in the text, who when Jesus walks through, they open their door and they say, Jesus, would you come to our house? Jesus, our, our house is positioned just perfectly here on this street corner. And we would love it if you would just come into our home and we'll open the windows and we'll open the doors and we'll just make the front of our house your stage. The reason I bring up their priorities, oftentimes we do the exact opposite at our homes. Our homes is a place we don't want Jesus we want Jesus to be seen on our social media feeds. We want Jesus to be seen whenever we're around our other church members. But what about when we're home? Are our homes a stage for the Lord Jesus Christ to display His love and His light? For this family, they not only opened up their home as a stage for Jesus. But there's a second thing they did that causes me to realize that their priority was not their home. Their priority was not the physical structure that they were living in. Notice what happens in, uh, look at verse number three with me again. It says, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press... They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. You see that there? Now, we don't know if there were storms coming. We don't know if there was snow coming in two or three days. We, we have no idea what the weather conditions were. All we know is that this homeowner not only opened up his home for Jesus to come and preach in it, but he also allowed these four to break his roof apart to drop the sick man into the presence of Jesus. This amazes me. I mean, I don't know when the last time was that a group of people showed up at your house and asked permission to break a hole in your roof to drop somebody through, but I have a feeling that there's probably not a one of us here today that would just be excited about the idea of that, would we? But this homeowner knew. This man was desperate. He was beating on death's door and there was one hope of him being healed and that's if he could get to Jesus. And what, I, what speaks to me out of this passage is that never one time do we see the homeowner getting upset or getting irate over this sudden change to his physical structure. He allows it to happen. Why? Because his faith has changed his priorities. The things that used to be important to him, now they're not so important. 
The things that he used to hold near and dear, now all of a sudden, they're not so dear to him anymore. And then in turn, the things that weren't that big of a deal, now it's his whole life. Jesus saw all of their faith. We see that in verse number 5. And I believe that was the first phase of this man rising again. So we see by this the faith to arise. The second thing I want to look at this morning is the forgiveness to arise. The forgiveness to arise. Look at verse 5 with me and we'll read down uh, through the rest of that verse. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Be healed and go your way. No, he doesn't say that. He says... What's your name, son? How much sin have you committed? Let me determine whether you meet the requirements of my healing. No, he doesn't say that. You know, there were times in Jesus' ministry, in fact, I think his entire ministry is characterized by this very thing of Jesus saying precisely what needed to be said at exactly the right moments. And this is a perfect example of that. Of all the things that Jesus could have said to this man who was sick of the palsy, he says, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. This is remarkable. And we're going to find out here in this next section why it is that Jesus says that. But I want to, I want to just call your attention to the fact that this man would, would have been unable to arise had his sins not been forgiven. We're all sinful people. We've all broken God's law. We've all fallen short of what God wants for our lives. And the reality is, is that the mean old devil who is the accuser of the brethren, he has been a master of accusation since the beginning of time. And he would love to use the remembrance of past sin to keep us down in the dumps to hold us down under the water. But I am thankful, so thankful this morning for the forgiveness that is offered to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in this man that the forgiveness of Jesus saves us from the suffocation of shame. <coughs> Pardon me. The truth is, is we all have experienced shame over past sin. I know I have. There's hardly a week that goes by that I don't... Think of how unworthy I am to stand behind this sacred desk and preach the Word of God. There's not a week that goes by that I don't have to bow down before God and pour my heart out because of how unworthy, unworthy, unworthy I feel. But the, the reason that I can stand here and the reason that I can preach the Word of God, it's the very reason that you can be here and you can go out and preach the Word of God to your lost friends and family. It's not because we're perfect. It's not because we're sinless. It's not because we figured it all out. It's not because we know better. It's not because we live better. What makes us worthy is not who we are. What makes us worthy is what Jesus has done. The fact is, is we are only able to do what God has called us to do, not because of what we are able to accomplish, but because we have been forgiven. Forgiven and washed by the blood of the Lamb. The forgiveness of Jesus saves us from the suffocation of shame. The forgiveness of Jesus frees us from the gloom of guilt. I don't know about you, but whenever I feel guilty, I'm not happy. 
I don't know if you're like that or not. I, I, I hope you are. I hope you're not one of these weird people that when you feel guilty, you're excited about it. I'm afraid our world is full of people like that right now. They actually find excitement and joy out of getting some sense of guilt. I don't ever want to be that person. I don't know about you, but I, I, when I'm guilty, I, it is, it's a bad day. It's a bad week whenever I know that I'm guilty of something that I have done against my Savior. And I'll tell you, one of the things I love is that Jesus offers forgiveness that is, that is all-encompassing. He doesn't only promise to forgive us a part of our sins, but He forgives us of all of our sin. That includes the shame of sin and the guilt of sin. Finally, the forgiveness of Jesus delivers us from the despair of disobedience. Again, the reality is none of us are perfect. We all disobey. But see, that's exactly why Jesus came. It's exactly why Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. He came to offer forgiveness. And one of the things I have learned is that there are a lot of Christians who live their entire Christian life down in the dumps, unusable for the glory of God because they allow the accuser of the brethren, that, that wicked old devil, to hold them down in their past sin, sin that they're already forgiven of, according to Jesus Christ. They've already been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and yet Satan convinces them that that sin is still part of their life, even though God has already ridded them of it. And so we see the forgiveness to rise. The final thing I want to look at this morning is the focus of the rise. What is the purpose of rising back up? The Bible says a just man falleth seven times, but he rises up again. Why is it that it's so important for the child of God to rise back up? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever known somebody that didn't? I'm going to guess if I were to look out at your cars this morning, every one of you would be shaking your head, yeah, I do. We all know somebody who fell down and never got back up spiritually. How'd that make you feel when that happened? I know for me, it's one of the most devastating parts of being a pastor. One of the most trying parts of being a pastor is watching someone who was once near and close to Jesus fall away and never come back. It's devastating. It's painful. It's demoralizing. It takes weeks and sometimes months to recuperate emotionally and spiritually. You ask yourself hard questions. Why? What did I do? Did I say something wrong? Did I, was there something I could have done differently to change the outcome? And so when we start thinking about those in our past that have fallen away from Christ and never got back up, we begin to understand why it's so important that we as God's children do get back up on our feet when we're down. Again, I understand being down. I, I've been there. <laughs> Frankly, in the last couple of weeks, I've been there a few times. You don't know how bad I hated canceling last Sunday services. It, it really hurt me to do that. It was something I never thought I would do again. I, I really didn't think we would do that again, but I was in a scenario where I, I knew I wasn't capable and I had no one else to call at the time and just had to do what I had to do. It hurt me to do that. 
And so there was a few times in the last couple weeks that I've been down. Why is it so important that we rise back up? Well, I think it's highlighted for us in the remaining passages of Scripture here regarding this man who is sick of the palsy. In verse number 5, Jesus says, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then verse 6 we pick up, it says, But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. You know, the first reason why it's so important for the child of God, once they're down, to rise back up, the first reason is to silence the critics of Christ. There are people out there that just know you're a fraud. They are, they are just convinced that this whole Christianity thing, it's just a phase. You're just going through a phase. They'll find out soon enough once they've been hit by the school of hard knocks enough times that it's all just a bunch of, of fraudulent speech. It's not, no truth to it at all. They'll figure it out. Just give them some time. There's people out there like that. And they would love nothing more than for you to be knocked down and stay down. That's what they really want. They want you to give up completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first and most primary reason why it is so important for you and I to get back up when we've been knocked down is because there are critics of Christ out there who will have a heyday if you give up right now. You can't. You can't give up. The glory of God hangs in the balance. You've got to rise back up. The second thing we see here is that we rise up to share the gospel of Christ. Notice in verse number 10, the scenario that's presented here, the man sick of the palsy, carried in by the four, lowered through the roof. Jesus says, thy sins be forgiven thee. It's all setting it up so that Christ in verse 10 can say these words, but that ye may know that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins. The idea here is this was all predetermined, all planned from the very beginning that on this day there would be the perfect scenario for Christ to be able to point out to the world why he really was here. Look where we're at in the book of Mark. We're not in Mark chapter 13 or 14 here. We're in Mark chapter 2. We're right at the very beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. And there's one thing that he has got to get through to the people very early on in the ministry that he has here on earth. And that is that he's not come to be a king. He has not come to redeem Israel in terms of their, their politics and their, their world dominance. He has come to redeem Israel from their sin. He has come to offer his life as a sacrifice 
for sin. And so this man in this moment, God allows this opportunity for Christ to display the good news of why he is here. And it's all taking place as this man is rising to his feet. So we rise to silence the critics of Christ. We rise up to share the gospel of Christ. Thirdly, we rise up to show the power of Christ. In verse 11, <coughs> pardon me, he says, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And it says, and immediately he arose, took up the bed and went forth before them all. Now, I appreciate some of the films that have been made about Jesus and his miracles. I, I mean, I, there are several of them I enjoy watching. But the one thing that I always feel is an injustice to the healing power of Christ is whenever Jesus touches somebody that's sick or he says something to someone who's broken and, and they, they waver. It's almost like they can barely get up on their feet and finally they do and they start straightening up and then finally they, they go on their way. Like it took, it took time for the healing to take place. No, I don't believe that's the way it worked. I believe based on what the scripture says here, it says, and immediately he rose up. I don't think it took him 15 seconds. I don't think it took him 30 minutes to get his feet under him. I believe the moment that Jesus looked at this man and said, but that ye may know that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins. I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. I believe instantaneously this man got up on his feet without wavering with full power and full control because he had just been healed by the creator of the universe. I believe that God used this moment of rising up to show his power. See, that's exactly what Christ wants to do in us. When we're down, when we're hurting, whenever we're feeling hopeless, I believe what uh, God does in, in raising us back up is he silences the critics. He uses it to share the gospel. He uses it to show his power. And finally, he uses it to showcase his glory. Notice at the end of verse number 12, we finally see in full light what God uses this healing to accomplish in this, this area, this community. As they're watching this all unfold, it says at the end of verse number 12, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying we never saw it on this fashion. You know, I believe this is exactly what Christ wants to do in all of us. He wants us to rise back up. He understands that we're fragile. He understands that from time to time we break. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles in closing. I promise we're just about done. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. I have one last passage I want to highlight to you this morning and show you that God knows who we are. He knows that we are fragile. He knows that we break. He knows that there are times that, that we're incapable. It's, it's the very reason why He delights to do what he does in our lives is because he knows that we are incapable other outside of his help in our lives. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number four. You know, the apostle Paul knew what it was to be down in the dumps. He knew what it was to be outcast. He knew what it was to suffer in loneliness. He knew what all of that felt like. And in this passage of scripture, 
What he does is he explains here how he made sure to never be brought so low as to give up on Christ. Look at verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 6. The Bible says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this phrase. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You know what he's saying there? He's saying God has put the treasure of the gospel inside of imperfect people, people who will break, people who will fall, people who will disappoint, so that whenever great things are accomplished, the glory doesn't rebound to us, but it rebounds to the glory of God. Verse 8 says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. You know, the first thing that the Apostle Paul did in order to guard against going so low that he gave up on Christ, the first thing he did is he always remembered his past. He always remembered what life was like before Jesus. And that would always remind him that things could be worse than it is right now. (coughs) Yes, he suffered a lot of things that you and I have never suffered. He went through things that you and I may never go through. But he always remembered how things were before Christ. And it always reminded him that things could be worse than they are right now. Because with Christ, all things are possible. With Christ, he had great hope. With Christ, he had great power in in himself. With Christ, he had everything he needed. He remembered his past. The second thing he always did was considered his purpose. The Apostle Paul realized he wasn't here for himself. He wasn't here to amass a following. He wasn't here to gain authority. He wasn't here to be able to buy a nice big mansion and a big beautiful car and a private jet. That wasn't the purpose of his ministry. There's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing in our time that that is their purpose of ministry. I just described for you their heartbeat in ministry. Has nothing to do with others, has nothing to do with Christ, has everything to do with themselves. Paul wasn't that way. So much so, in fact, that whenever injustices were handed out to him, when he was persecuted, when he was whipped to within an inch of his life, when he was out shipwrecked in the middle of the sea, He never looked at it and thought, I'm going to give up. God owes me more than this. I deserve better than this. He never thought any of those thoughts. I believe he looked at it and thought, wow, this is such an honor. Such an honor to suffer for the cause of Christ. He always considered his purpose. And finally, he understood his position. (coughs) The goal of his ministry, again, was not to highlight the Apostle Paul, it was to highlight the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why he could say uh, down there in verse uh, verse, uh, 7 through 9 there that he went through all these things, but they never knocked him completely out. He wasn't stressed, he wasn't distressed. Why? Because he surrendered to the Lord's control. 
He wasn't hopeless. Why? Because he trusted in what God had said. He wasn't alone. Why? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he wasn't ruined. Why? Because he was living in light of eternity. He says in verse 11, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Child of God, I'll close with this. You may be going through a hard time now. Your life may be characterized by trial and struggle. But keep in mind, it will pass. This world is not our forever home. Heaven is just around the corner. I believe Jesus' return is imminent. And so what God is calling us to this morning is to not stay down in that place of darkness and despair, but to rise back up, get back out into the fight, and charge for the cause of Christ.